Right at the Fork is proud to be supported by Leanne Bach with M Realty. Keep your finger on the pulse of Portland's hot real estate market. Call Leanne for unparalleled customer service and the highest level of marketing available. Make sure your position in the marketplace doesn't leave money on the table by visiting leannebach.com or call Leanne direct at 503-349-7890. By Chew Dining Club. Chew gives you rewards and intel from Portland's best restaurants. Just download the app right now and check in at participating establishments. Get the rewards you want, like free pizzas, drinks, extended happy hour deals, and more. Plus exclusive information about fun food events and invites too. Chew. This is Right at the Fork. It's Portland's food scene podcast where uh, hosts Chris Angeles, right over here, Portland Food Adventures. Hello. And I, Cor Johnson. We talk uh, talk with the uh, makers and shakers, the movers and shakers. That's the term uh, in the food world here in Portland. I like makers and shakers. Makers and shakers. That's they're they're making stuff. Yeah, it makes more sense. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook under Right at the Fork or on Twitter or Instagram. Our handle is Food Podcast PDX. And I guess it was Right at the Fork not available? Is that why we went with that? No, because uh, it's just easier to remember. Well, no, I'm trying to think back, but I thought, let's own the food podcast sure. thing. Yeah. And so we kind of went with that direction. Either I, way, I, I just, I'm just curious. I think it was a conversation I had with Heather, and yeah. I, I think it was literally probably 15 seconds and an agreement. Yeah. So... Well, here's an agreement you can make is to subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening to it, whether it be Stitcher, on iTunes, on Google Play, wherever you're getting it. Make sure you uh, check that box so that it's automatically downloading every Wednesday and you'll have a fresh episode from us. Uh, you can also uh, share this and rate us. Uh, most places you can give us some stars and some ratings and we'd love for you to do that as well. And go back in our archives, too. You know, I think 40% of our listens every month are back in the archives, yeah. which is pretty cool. Yep. Because yeah. they keep growing and there's, along with the new episodes. And there's no rhyme or reason to it as, as I've been looking at that. One week, like, something just rises to the top out of nowhere. Yeah. And a lot of people have tuned into it and some, you know, there's no reason for it other than it's a great episode. Well, there and there are some where they've, in, like, uh, uh, Trace... They embedded it on the Voodoo Donuts website. Yeah. So we're getting a lot of listens every day mm -hmm. from that. So yeah, for, if you've been on the podcast and you're listening to this, ask us for the code. We'll put, we'll give it to you. There you go. Uh, they, speaking of donuts, there's uh, there, how many, we've talked to the the three big donut kings here in town. Oh, I'm sure there are others that would argue that they're, that they're in that mix. But mm -hmm. yes, uh, I can say, and there was an article in um, Portland Monthly about the donut. Yeah. The donuts in all three of these were featured. Sure. So Pips. Blue Star. Nate, Nate, Blue Star, Micah, yep. and, uh, and Trace. And uh, Voodoo Donuts. We actually, on SoundCloud, there's a um, there's a file that has all three. Oh, okay. Or there's a so playlist. You made it, you there's made a it playlist. Easy yes. There's for a people. Very nice. How did we get on donuts? I'm hungry. Actually. I don't know. We, we, we've, uh, we've talked all sorts of things today, and we're going to talk all sorts of things with our guest today. Suzanne Fuoco. Yeah. Who uh, is a, uh, she's a certified nurse, and she makes jams. She, she's in the jam. Yeah. Well, you would think that as somebody, uh, and we get into nutrition and stuff, and I think she addresses this a little bit, that like when you're talking nutrition, jams doesn't necessarily rise to the top of being 
number one on the nutrition well, she's list. She's using local product. She but is. Yes, it's a little. It's it's sweet sugar. Look, if you gotta have a little sweetness in your life, you can't you can't like eat stale and like if you healthy doesn't mean no I know, taste. But especially, I don't know. I feel like I used to, I used to get the Smuckers, right? right? Sure. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong, right. nothing wrong with a good Smuckers yeah. right. strawberry. But when you're eating something that's locally produced like this with love. And has, you know, every jam has a literary connection right. to it. Mm-hmm. And um, and we ju- will hear her just decided what to do with the tutor, with all the plums yeah. that she had. No, it's, that, that's what I love about it. This is, this is like your grandmother, or in my case. My uh, youngest daughter, Sloan, her uh, kindergarten teacher does jams and jellies. And so for Christmas one year, holiday, she gave everybody in the class a thing of, of jam and we cut, man, we wanted, we, I tried to figure out she retired. And so we couldn't get any more. It's like, man, how do we get more of this jam? It's very, it's small batch jams that she does. Well, we've had a lot of different people on mm-hmm. the podcast. And I love the fact that Suzanne is one of the, if you listen to where her product is available, where yeah. she's distributing, they're real small little shops. Yep. And I like that we're covering that end of this spectrum. Right. Um, so, um, and I've had quite a few of her products and I've gotten to know her and she's, Charming, but I think more importantly, the uh, uh, you know following Suzanne online and hearing her little updates, daily reports as the school nurse. Yeah, um, I don't know if she got as controversial here as I thought we were going to get in this podcast, but we talk about a lot of things to be thinking about as a parent, right? Uh, and as far as health and nutrition in your kids, and I don't know if I'm the best proponent. I mean, not. Uh, uh, the best one to be talking about it. My kids are way out of school, but I, I did have some experience. Well, there's been an evolution, and we and we talk about the evolution of priority over time. But I think if if you're in the Portland community, it'd be hard to have missed their news over the past, you know, couple of months about lead in the water, radon gas testing, and 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 she she gets in that a little bit, but also just kind of this bigger thing of like what's the role of nutrition in our schools today. Yeah, and I and and the parents have you know stay connected to kids. I think that's a good message, in different ways, and we'll talk about that a little bit. But Suzanne Fuoco joins us uh, right as the school year starts. We thought this would be a nice time to discuss this. So what's the jam, man? What's the jam, man? Well, um, I have an incredibly prolific Italian plum tree, which. Daily, I am gleaning 10, 20 pounds. And so I'm having trouble keeping up with that. Um, And then my son, who is working at a restaurant, just gifted me last night with 40 pounds of surprise Italian plums. Oh, so you're going to have, you're going to have a, not a small batch. No, this will not be a small batch. This will be a, um, a big production, and I'm going to divide it half and half between a plum chutney, which is really delicious, and then a plum and cinnamon jam. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah. I'm going to reserve one you of those. Sh- you should reserve. And we're going to reserve one for Court and Randy, too, and your family. Ooh, Excellent. Maybe a little more than one. You've got, you'll have got. you go through it faster than I Oh, do. man, I, I love In fact, it's interesting. My, my mom, there's this tree. I, I'm from Utah. And there's this tree that was in my grandma's backyard growing up that my mom and my grandma would always make this. It, it's called Potawatomi. And I don't, it's, a, it's the, the Native American 
name for this plum or berry. I don't know what it is, but they've always made jam out of it. And my mom just posted that she's got like this 12, like this limited 12 mason jar batch that she just said. I'm like, can you ship half of that to me? Yeah, and then you can do a trade. Yeah. What, what color is the Potawatomi? It's, it's like a golden color. Let me see Ooh. if I can find the email. It's like, it's. I can't even describe. I'm, I was going to look up line to see what Potawatomi actually is, but that's, the, again, it's the Native American term for it. It's the, they grew in the backyard of my grandma's house. Wow. Yeah. Wow, that's great. Yeah, but it's this thing where, like, they get a little bit off that tree, and then my mom has these secret places in the next town over that she knows, and she goes and she gathers up the stuff and makes her batches. Well, I have a question for both of you. Have either of you ever heard of the expression, the Augusts? No. Mm -mm. I just learned about this. The Augusts, for people who do farming, urban farming or otherwise, refers to that time of year, which we are right in the middle of, where it's just nonstop. Harvest, 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 preserve, can, give away to your neighbors. And you hadn't heard of that? I had Until never now? heard that's of like that phrase. Okay. I had never heard of no, it I would, called that. And that's interesting. So we are we You are learn something new every year. And every, so, and speaking of the harvest... I texted you a few weeks ago while I was out in Halem harvesting blackberries by the by the bagful. I saw the photographs. And you couldn't I couldn't get enough of them and my kids came out and we went out and did that. So I I probably wasn't very respectful in, in writing you to say, Hey Suzanne, is there a quick way to do jam? Because I, I was asking the wrong person. No, question. there are quick ways to do right, jam. Right, quick and easy. But you don't do it that way. You you your process yields not so much speed, but deliciousness. Slower. slower. It, it's slower. Um, I like to incorporate. I like the slow, the slow method. Um, although the fast method does have its merits for people who have so much fruit that it's driving them crazy and they don't quite know what to do with fruit such as blackberries. If you want to do it the quick and easy way, get yourself some really good pectin. And that's one of the fastest ways to do it. Otherwise, you are doing it the slow way with the reduction and the slow simmer. So I ended up just pretty much munching those and putting them over ice cream. <laughs> that was that was the way to get rid of them. I love that. Yeah. Well, they were great. And the beautiful thing about Nehalem, it's on this trail that we I will not tell anybody where it is, a couple of people. Um, but the beauty, it's not populated. So every day you walk down there and I could literally fill up the large freezer bags, two or three of them, in an hour. I'm jealous. So, yeah, well, you need to come out. Although I should. Although I think it's over with. We did, we did pick some th- a few days ago. But I think it's pretty much over with. Are they the thornless blackberries or are they the full-on thorns? You mean and on the plants? No, they're thorns. Okay. Because in my backyard, I was gifted four years ago by uh, an avid gardener in my neighborhood for a type of thornless blackberry. Oh, that's it's convenient for a It's completely changed. It's but changed it's, but my out, view. But out on the trail, it, uh, the th- yeah, I... I came back scratched, and there's something gratifying about that because it's, it's not gonna kill you. Yeah, you did your work. I did my work, which is something I don't do for food a lot. You go out and put plunk down a credit card. 
<laughs> no, it was very gratifying. And so Oakley and I would go out, and, and he and he got to the point where he was picking them off himself. Great. Probably not the right, the most ripe ones, but anyway, I did have a variety of years that I really enjoyed a lot, and that was the the lemon and uh, vanilla. Yes, that you the, did. Yes, it's Meyer lemon. Meyer lemon, which is uh, prolific in California, not prolific in the Pacific Northwest, uh, but I love it. It's the Meyer lemon is actually. Uh, a hybrid, I don't even know when it was developed, but it's a tangerine and lemon combination, which is why it's so sweet. And it has a much uh, softer skin. It's really great for marmalades. Uh, it's great. It's what I grew up with in California. So um, we wanted to talk today about Pink Slip Jam, of okay. course, and what you do. And... Um, uh, you know, to discuss a little bit what it's like out there as a small batch artisan okay. and distributing your product. But also we wanted to get to the point we're going to leave some time to talk about your experience as a school nurse mm. in the city of Portland. <laughs> um, and uh, now that you're no longer there, you're free to be our deep throat on this, right? <laughs> There you go. I I do like that nickname. It's it's fabulous. <laughs> well, we won't get into that <laughs> too much. I, I the nickname is great, but uh, the concept that you learned quite a bit in uh, as a school nurse, and uh, you know, I watched you post on Facebook. Mm -hmm. Let's get back to that in a little while. But okay. I, just talk a little bit about um, how you got into making jam. What. Uh, where you think you might go with it. I know you have some other ideas of what you want to do with your food career mm -hmm. as well. So so I got into making jam uh, pretty recreationally. The very first thing I ever canned, because the process seemed daunting to me, was when still living in California, I was living in Berkeley, and uh, I was a... OBGYN nurse doing primarily postpartum labor and delivery care. And one of my patients was the wife of the farmer from Frog Hollow Farm, which is this amazing stone fruit farm. Amazing. Oh, oh, yeah. oh eh, ding, <laughs> gong. Did I get gonged? Uh, we haven't called anybody on that no, in months. No. So, oh, God. I am yeah. so sorry. Right. Am, am I off way. the show now? Not yet. Three. Three mm. are off. Yeah. It's baseball rules. <laughs> All right. Luscious, vibrant stone fruit. Isn't that farm. better? Yes. That's why we don't want to use that word on this podcast. Well, uh, the farmer himself was considerably older than his wife and had already had grown children, and they found themselves expecting, and I wound up as their nurse, and they had twins. Surprise! And one of the things this farmer did was that he gifted me with a vast amount of nectarines and peaches. And it was summer. It was hot. I had to figure out what to do with them. And at the time, I didn't have any preserving cookbooks, and it was before daily consultation of the Internet. And so I had the San Francisco Chronicle cookbook, and in it 
was a recipe for peach pistachio chutney. And I thought it sounded great, and I followed the recipe. And then I was really nervous about putting my jars into the bath of hot water, but I did it. And it turned out, and people liked it. And then I just went from there. And how long ago was that? Mm, I'm going to guess a dozen years ago. Okay. So so you've been in the jam for a little while. I have. And uh, it really kicked up when I moved to Portland. And at the time, it was the height of the recession. And I naively thought that as a nurse, I'd have no problem getting a job. That wasn't the case. Uh, my first year here, I did work as a nurse, though the only job I could get was a, a night shift, which is not my idea of a good time. And I Cue quit. night shift music? <laughs> right. <laughs> I just I love that song. Oh, it's great. Uh, but um didn't work out very well. And one morning... I quit. And on my drive home across the Ross Island Bridge, it dawned on me that I was living in Portland, a city at the time that was not booming economically. And I had just stepped away from a job that wasn't ideal, but it was the only job I had. And the next day... And you got a family to raise. Yeah, and I took my kids out to Sovie Island. And... Um, Started started picking berries and came home with 37 pounds Ooh. of raspberries. Oh, you beat me. Yeah, it was, well, it was, a, it was kind of like a, a unconscious therapy berry mm -hmm. picking. Mm -hmm. And I had to figure out what to do with 37 pounds of raspberries. And then things just started happening. People in the neighborhoods started asking me if they could buy some jam and the school told me that I could have a little booth at one of their harvest fairs. And then I did the Belmont Street Fair. And um, it just it just went on from there. And the name Pink Slip came about because it was only a matter of time working this night shift that things just were not going to go smoothly. And so I, I opted to give myself a pink slip before... Someone else I suggested an exit. Thinking of the actual garment when that all the t all <laughs> up until now. Well, it's it is something that has been brought to my attention entendre. before. It does. It does. Entendre. I am still on the lookout for uh, the actual pink slips that used to be delivered to people in their pay envelopes. Um, I thought that that would as be kind really of a label, fun as a label. Not a, not really as a label, but more as a a statement for, you know, requesting payment. Oh, that no that. So speaking of your, where do you where can people buy your jam? Right now, uh, my friend Terry Gelber, who has an um, incredible tea shop on 18th and Northwest Johnson called Tea Project. Highly recommend um, people go check that out. And the interesting thing about Terry, I'm going to give a little plug, and she doesn't know I'm doing this. 
Terry and I met in Portland when a mutual friend who was having some sort of event said, hey, did you know that the two of you are doing kind of the same thing? One of you is blending tea with beautiful literary and song titles, and one of you is making jam with the names of your jams being literary references. And Terry and I met, and it just got stranger and stranger because we discovered that we both went to UC Berkeley at the same time. We both were in the art history department at the same time. We both worked in many Bay Area restaurants at roughly the same time, but parallel shifts. And here we are both in Portland. So I love it that that Pink Slip Jam is available at Tea Project. I haven't been there. I have to go get a cup of, a spot of tea yeah. uh, and some jam. And next up, Pink Slip Jam will be available at a new shop up on 9th and Northwest Thurman called Neapolitan. Really lovely woman owns that so shop. So these are great. These are little small shops to support local, very local. Yes. So do you foresee being in a, in a Zupans or a... Uh, new seasons or anything? I don't know. You know, you don't want to get there. I don't know if that's the direction Pink Slip Jam will take. Uh, and I say this because I know a lot of people who started off making something small and enjoying it and really loving the process. And then the spreadsheets and the numbers crunching happens. And their production levels have to go up considerably and then you need to hire people and then you need to go to much larger kitchens and buy large pieces of equipment and and it becomes a very different beast it becomes a business with passion yes rather than a, a passion. passion yes so i'm not sure the jury's still out on that <laughs> Well, you have some time to think about it. But in the meantime, it wasn't your main source of income. You were working in public schools. Yes. And so let's talk about that a little bit. And so the deal is, how long did you work at, and what what level school? Middle school? I got a job with MESD, which stands for Multnomah Education Service District. And that is the entity that contracts for nursing services for Portland Public Schools. And I did K through eight nursing. So you remember your school nurse? I I don't. I I've had to go to this the office a few times as a kid for like I split open my lip and I, I don't think we had one. I think I remember my my secretary holding me down and putting an ice pack on my face until my mom showed up. Wow. No, we had school nurse, but uh, I can never get I can never get one over on her like faking <laughs> sick. I could wait. I could. It was way more of a successful venture to do that first thing in the morning and, right. and sell my mom on mm -hmm. it before I got to school. I know when when we first started talking about this, you were a little uh, concerned because there really wasn't anything in place to make the schools healthier for children, not only from an environmental standpoint, but the people who were making the decisions were slightly problematic. I would be very curious as to whether or not anyone hired by the nutrition services ever took classes on basic nutrition or kept current. 
Um, and you're basing that on the fact that the results were that you couldn't necessarily tell that they were applying good nutrition principles to... No, it was really all about heating up the food and getting the kids through the line and cleaning it up and then tallying up numbers. That's basically what I saw. And I had conversations about modifications. I had conversations about options. And I was basically told that my job as the nurse was just to go back into the health room and um, fill out some paperwork. Yes, yes. Didn't <laughs> Sorry, I didn't, didn't I have didn't I have you know some band aids or ice packs to attend to? Is this something that is really a problem in Portland, the state, the country? Is is it something? Is there something about Portland that you could see could be improved to to match some or at least achieve some of the standards that are elsewhere that we're not achieving? I think there are a couple of things. I know that the only school district in the entire country that has all organic food in their cafeteria happens to be uh, in Sausalito, California, which is a community with tremendous resources. That's not necessarily realistic in the rest of the country. I know that in Berkeley, Berkeley has Alice Waters, from Chez Panisse and her edible schoolyard. And Universal Breakfast is incorporated every morning, regardless of parental resources. I know that the school gardens had a huge revamp, all of the schools. Yeah, but that's there. So Yeah, not- but I think that I think that Portland could do that too. Especially with the ethos here. Right. We're all about our incredible food culture. And so I think maybe now I know that chefs have their hands full running their various restaurants and food carts and pop-ups and that kind of thing. But one of the things I noticed that was huge in the Bay Area, um, chefs understand that kids are their future customers. And kids are really savvy about food. The cigarette companies know that. Oh, yeah. Or knew that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They're not really concentrating on that. And the car companies certainly know that. So So if you have chefs come in to the schools and, and do some guest speaking or maybe have a couple of chefs join in with their local school and do a garden project and then use what is grown in something really tasty and delicious and show kids that there's this option. I think that would go a long way. And I think that it would really be something Portland could pioneer. You know, I'm watching in my own school district just certain certain just programs being cut because of how regulated, unfortunately, the state requirements are on state testing. And I think that also ties into what the federal mandate is. <laughs> and so these administrators are trying to figure out what's best for them. So whether it be the school lunch program, expanding that into something more healthy, or like, for example, my my second grader, now third grader, she wanted to get this really awesome Japanese unit that they used to do for 15 years at this elementary school because it no longer fits into this very strict state Testing guide, yeah, guide. It, just does, it doesn't fit, and so my, my guess is there might be. There's probably a lot of teachers, administrators that might be. They, they realize the the need for these types of nutritional programs, but because 
of what they're being told, that that part just gets scrapped. And because, they got a lot of other battles. Yeah, to which, fight too. which is counter. Which when you you probably look at it when you look at the data, like you talked about, if they would address these nutritional issues, those test scores and just the better all overall being of these kids would probably come up because we're not feeding them garbage. Or, well, it's it comes back. Yeah, yeah, that's the foundation. Yeah. Is, is no, that. It's, so it's frustrating. I'm sure it's, as, it's as, a as building a, block. Yeah, and one of the things and. You know, I'm I'm not going to mention any names here. I'm not going to mention any school. But one of the experiences I had this last year was um, I was I was regularly told not to ask questions about what people had for breakfast or what they'd had for dinner the night before when I was trying to figure out what was going on with these stomach right, aches. Like their health. Some, something were, something like a nurse or a doctor would regularly ask if somebody's not feeling very right. well. And what I commonly was told was um, that's judgmental. And I was told that that's judgmental by someone uh, who would regularly have their lunch spread out um, on the desk with the computer. And this was not a once-in-a-while occurrence. This was an everyday occurrence where this person's lunch consisted of a box of Girl Scout cookies, a bag of Fun Yums, a few red licorice vines, a Coke Zero, and a bag of white chocolate-covered pretzels. That's lunch. That's lunch for this the, individual. This it's prince, a calorie-free Coke Zero in there. So Yeah, so it's all even. <laughs> um, and and, and I would have a juice. Who, who is this in the school? This was That was the vice principal. Okay. The principal uh, in the desk drawer had large... Uh, bags of the miniature candy bars and then the Costco econo size bowl of red licorice vines. Oh, and, so that was a thing. And the Coke Zeros and um, Dr. Pepper Free or whatever it is. And I was regularly teased if I had some juice. And the comment was, oh, are those some long clippings? Wow. So this is not, you're not being judgmental necessarily on what those adults were eating. You're, but the issue is those are the people who are telling you how to deal with nutrition, nutrition and health at the school. Right. And so that's what their mindset was. And I, and I would also like to point out that these lunches were on desks in an open office where every child that came in could see what these adults in charge were eating and drinking. And so it becomes a situation of, well, why should I have my orange and my carrot sticks? Because, boy, that red licorice rope looks a whole lot more fun. That Mr. Smith is having. Correct. Interesting. Mm. So what led you? So there, those were some frustrating things, obviously. Someone who cares about health and who has kids and would be horrified if that was the situation. But some, what, what led you to actually quit? Well, what led me to actually quit was the decision on the part of PPS um, to make the role of the nurse a case manager as opposed to actually doing nursing duties. Pro proactive nursing. And what, right. And so what that involves is that um, the school district has decided that they would have um, – a titled individual called a school health aide in all of the health rooms in the K through eight schools in Portland. Now, in order to get this job, you basically have to graduate from high school 
and take a three-day first aid training course. You're not a nurse. You're not a medical person. The nurse then would be required to case manage five of these individuals in five different school sites. So you're talking about a caseload of what, 3,500 plus kids, plus the teachers, the administrators, delegating all the health duties to people who may have to learn how to use EpiPens or inhalers or food allergies and what happens with a food allergy, delegating tables that are, you can no longer say nut-free, you have to say allergy-aware. That's the new term. Um, and it's, it's unsafe practices, I think. So that's one of the reasons I left. That, and there were some other issues with water and so forth. Yes. Um, the last couple weeks, um, the lead in the water all came out where everybody learned. Surprise, surprise, in these very old buildings with these very old pipe systems, there is lead in the water. So, so everybody's looking at Detroit, or uh, Flint, I'm sorry, yeah. at Flint, and here we are in Portland. I was so not aware they, of this until yeah. you mentioned it to me. Well, what they did was they shipped in pallet after pallet after pallet of water in plastic bottles wrapped in more plastic that's off-gassing like crazy. And then while they're dealing with that, then came the big surprise like, ooh, radon. And... um so they're scurrying around trying to deal with the radon testing. And then two days before my last day, I was in a health room. And a, uh, and a workman came in, big guy. And he's in this suit carrying equipment, the likes of which I've never seen before. And I said, can I help you? And he told me that he had to get behind this filing cabinet that had been there forever. And I said, oh, what's behind the filing cabinet? And he says, oh, well, there's this this closet door. And I was joking. And I said, oh, you know, is that the door to Narnia? And he he looked at me blankly and said, oh, no, I, I got to get in there and assess all the exposed asbestos. Very nice. So the combination <laughs> of those three was enough and I had already given notice, but I that just packed up my I packed up my stuff and said, you know, I I think I've done what I can do. And that was it. So you were you got out of there a day or two early because there was asbestos in your office that you weren't aware of for years. Yes. Right? Yes. You don't know how much. He hadn't assessed it quite yet. Right, and he would have given you a real reading. But it, but it was known. known. So let me see. So we're talking uh, a few things. Let's recap here. Mm. Nutrition is none of your business because that's your opinion, right? Yeah, I could be construed as judgmental if Judge I asked about food right. choices. Judgmental. And lead, radon, and asbestos, and, uh, well, you're not doing that anymore. Back to jam. Jam. Jam full time. So so here's the deal. You know, I, I'm in no way suggesting that jam, which in order to legally be called jam, according to the Department of Ag in Oregon, has to have a certain percentage of sugar. So... Yeah, I deal with sugar, and I'm not saying that it's a healthy breakfast, but what I'm suggesting is, um, you know, toast, a little bit of jam, egg, you know, maybe some juice, maybe some dairy. If you don't do dairy, you know, nut milk, 
something, just sit down and, and eat with your kid in the morning and have it be a nice experience. And by the way, better for parents too. Yeah, you, know, you my, start your day off nicely. Let me say, I got to give my kids a lot of credit because I wasn't as aware as I should have been. And I, I started becoming more aware when I got to Portland. But now, my God, they're all over it. They're at farmer's markets. They're bringing me healthier foods and they're trying to pull me. And I, I have an idea and I try and I've done some things, but they've really done a lot since because of the environment here. So, we have an so, amazing So it's good resources. for parents too. I mean, they need it too. We're you know, they're going to have health problems. Parents are getting up in their 40s and 50s and 60s and those things are going to happen. Yeah, I mean, I think we should just look at food as as something really enjoyable and something valuable to invest our time and our resources in because just shoveling it in is is just completely ruining the health of our country. Well, I think it, ta- it takes more than just parents deciding they have to do things differently. There's things that need to be done, you know, with legislatures and, and school systems, and that's a lot of red tape. But very interesting to hear your experience from inside the school systems when it comes to, uh, to foods. Thank you so much. Thank Suzanne, you. Thank for joining you. Us. So, Pink Slip Jam uh, right now is at Neapolitan up on Northwest Thurman at T Project and at Three Dots and a Dash. And where are you online? Uh, I am, I have a website, SuzanneFuoco.com. On Facebook, there's a Pink Slip Jam page. Okay. And so, um, I'm on Instagram as Pink Slip Jam. There you go. Thank you. And you're here now. And I'm here now. We're glad you came. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Intro music by Ariel Varinas. Find links to her music in the show notes section. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com. Don't grab